0: Ruth chapter three, verses one to 18. One day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, my daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. Now, Boaz, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight, he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor But don't let him know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother in law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? he asked. I am your servant Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am a guardian redeemer of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. Stay here for the night. And in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good. Let him redeem you. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. So she laid his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized. And he said, no one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. He also said, bring me the shawl you are wearing and hold it out. When she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and placed the bundle on her. Then he went back to town. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, How did it go, my daughter? Then she told her everything Boaz had done for her and added, He gave me these six measures of barley, saying, Don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said, Wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today.
1: Well, good morning. My name is Adam. It's uh, great to have you with us. As you can see, Christmas has come a little bit early for me. I've got a new workbench, if you didn't notice. Unfortunately, it doesn't come with a guarantee of better preaching, so I apologize for that. You know, as Ben mentioned, it's only uh, two weeks, and, or under two weeks, until Christmas. If, and let me just encourage you from my perspective, if you haven't yet registered for one of our Christmas services, make sure you do that today. And if you haven't yet registered for our Christmas festival, uh, make sure you come along to that. We would love to see you there. Love to have you invite someone along. Uh, Please pray for it. We're just really uh, looking forward to sharing the message of the hope that we have in Jesus. But today, we are continuing our Advent sermon series through the book of Ruth. And the question that we're wrestling with today is a, a question I think we're all familiar with. Will they or won't they? Will Boaz and Ruth end up together? Will Boaz rescue and redeem Ruth? Now, if you've ever watched a TV sitcom or a rom-com, you're familiar with this storyline. Will they or won't they? You know, there's two characters, it's obvious that they like each other, there's a bit of back and forth, there's some complications and problems, and we're left wondering, will they or won't they? Will they end up together? I think of uh, Elizabeth and Mr. Darcy from Pride and Prejudice, or Ron and Hermione from Harry Potter, or Fran and Maxwell from The Nanny. Yeah, see, you've all watched that. Jim and Pam from The Office, or I think of the classic example, Ross and Rachel from Friends. Will they or won't they? In many ways, this is the question that we're wrestling with in chapter 3. Will Ruth and Boaz end up together? Now, if you haven't been with us for the last couple of weeks, let me try and catch you up on the story uh, very quickly. It begins with a, a family of four from the town of Bethlehem. Elimelech, his wife Naomi, and their two boys. They move from Bethlehem in the Promised Land to Moab, not in the Promised Land, because of a famine. And the two boys marry two Moabite women, Orpah and Ruth. But tragically, within 10 years, the three men pass away. And Naomi is left with her two daughters in law. They've got no savings, no money, no superannuation, no Centrelink. They're in a desperate situation. So Naomi decides to return home to Bethlehem along uh, with Ruth, who decides to go with her. Orpah decides to remain in Moab, but Ruth goes with her to Bethlehem. Now, humanly speaking, this is a crazy decision from Ruth. She is leaving everything behind in Moab to go with Naomi. But as we've seen somewhere along the way, Ruth had an encounter with Yahweh, Naomi's God, the God of the Bible. She came to know him, and she goes to live with Naomi among her people. Now, when they return to Bethlehem, it's quite a sad homecoming. Naomi describes herself as empty. But then, as chapter 2 begins, there is a glimmer of hope. It just so happens that the ladies return to Bethlehem just as the barley harvest is beginning. And so Ruth goes to glean in the fields, to collect scraps. And it just so happens that Ruth ends up in the field of a man named Boaz. Now, Boaz is not only a godly man, but he's also a close relative of Elimelech, Naomi's dead husband. Now, in that day, there was a law in the Old Testament that if your husband died and you were a widow, a male family member could step in to look after you, to marry you, to protect you, to provide for you. So there is a glimmer of hope. But at the end of last week, that's just what it was, a glimmer. In fact, here's how chapter 2 ended. I've left the clicker in my bag. Sorry, Bruce. Chapter 2 ends this way. So Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvests were finished. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Thanks, Em. I would have been very happy for Bruce to just do it. (laughs) So chapter 2 ends with Ruth and Boaz not going out on a date, and Ruth living with her mother-in-law. Now, I'm not going to make any jokes about mothers, mother-in-laws, because let's face it, mother-in-laws can be scary. But this really isn't an ideal situation for either of these women. They've been well provided for so far, they've been able to glean in the fields, but the harvest is coming to an end, which means no more gleaning. And they have no one to provide for them or to protect them. There's some dark clouds on the horizon. And this is why, at the end of chapter two, we're wondering, will they or won't they? Will Boaz and Ruth end up together? Will Boaz rescue and redeem Ruth and Naomi? This is the question that we'll be uh, wrestling with today as we look at this part of the story. And as we look at this part of the story, we see that it unfolds in three scenes. And each scene teaches us an important lesson. The first scene, if you're taking notes, is this. It's Naomi's risky plan. Naomi's risky plan. Now, I've just told you that at the end of chapter two, there's some dark clouds gathering. Boaz has been on the scene. He's been incredibly kind to Naomi he's, he, and Ruth. He's wealthy. He's single. He's a potential redeemer. He's everything these women need. But we get to the end of chapter two when we're left hanging. They still haven't gone out on a date. They, they're not getting together. Now, what Could Ruth do about this? She couldn't exactly walk up to her boss at the end of the workday, drop on one knee, and say, Marry me, in plain view of everyone else. These were very different days. She couldn't send him a a message through Facebook. She couldn't even send him a text message. I mean, what is Ruth to do? So, with the clock ticking, Ruth's mother in law steps in. Again, I'm not going to make any jokes about mother in laws. And so, Naomi comes up with a plan. A plan to let Boaz know that Ruth is interested. A plan to orchestrate an important conversation between Ruth and Boaz. Now, I don't know if you were paying attention when it was read, but Naomi's plan is a bit out there. It's risky and it's risque. It's daring and it's dangerous. It is, to be quite frank, shocking. So these are the steps that Naomi gave Ruth to follow if if you missed it. I mean, you've heard about how to lose a guy in 10 days. This is how to win a husband in ancient Israel in seven steps. (laughs) Here's what Naomi says. Number one, step one, she says to Ruth, take a bath. Great advice, always good advice, especially if you've been working hard in the fields. Step number two, she says, put on some perfume. Again, good advice. Number three, put on your best clothes. Put on a nice dress. Now, so far, this is just common sense. There's nothing groundbreaking here. This is just good advice. But now it starts to get interesting. Step number four. She says, go down to visit Boaz at the threshing floor, but don't talk to him until he's finished eating and drinking. Now, again, at one level, this is just good advice. You Don't try to get something from someone, especially a man, when they're hungry. Wait until he's had something to eat. Wait until he's had something to drink, then talk to him. One level, good advice, but at another level, this is quite surprising. Why? Because Naomi says to Ruth, go down to the threshing floor. Now, I know what you're thinking. The threshing floor? No way. Now, the threshing floor, it was the place where the farmers would transform their cut stalks into grain. And they would often do this work during the night because of the, the breezes that they would take advantage of. They would often sleep there during the night to protect their grain, and they were usually in a pretty good mood. There was usually a bit of a party atmosphere because it meant the harvest had come in. Their months and their months of hard work were coming to fruition. And so you can imagine the kinds of activities that took place on the threshing floor. It was quite a notorious place. It's a little bit like Mad Monday for professional footballers. It's not exactly the place that you want your daughter to be. And yet, Naomi instructs Ruth to go down to the threshing floor. It's a risky idea, but Naomi's not yet finished. After Boaz has had his dinner and his wine, she says to him, number five, take note of where he lies down. Now remember, it would have been dark. It's the middle of the night and there's no electricity. Ruth couldn't whip out her iPhone to use the torch. So she has to keep an eye on Boaz, where he goes to lay down. She doesn't want to be sneaking up on somebody else. She doesn't want to uncover Larry's feet or anything like that. She wants to keep an eye on Boaz. But now Naomi really ramps it up. She says, when you make it to Boaz, step number six, lift up his blanket, uncover his feet, and lie down. And I can imagine Ruth going, say what now? Come again, mother dearest. You want me to do what? You want me to lay where? Now what is Naomi asking Ruth to do? What's going on here? It seems like Naomi is asking Ruth to seduce Boaz. To to dress herself up and to throw herself at his feet, literally. This seems like pure seduction. But there's more going on here than meets the eye. There is definite hints of, of sexuality and intimacy, but there is something deeper happening here. I like the way that one commentator, Barry Webb, describes it. He says, it is a bold move. That's for sure. And can hardly be seen as anything other than an invitation to love. But given what we have already been shown of Boaz's and Ruth's character, it would be going too far to see it as a crude seduction scene. It is far too delicate for that. It is not instant sexual gratification that Ruth is after, but a commitment to marriage and the secure future this would provide for her. You see, many commentators see Ruth's actions as a symbolic gesture, as a way to symbolically seek Boaz's protection, as a way to ask Boaz to marry her. Now, once Ruth has done all of this, the final step in Naomi's plan is to leave it up to Boaz. She says, he will tell you what to do. Now, she could just be expressing confidence in Boaz's character, as has been revealed so far, or faith in God that he will guide Boaz to the right response. And so Naomi's plan is not as crude as it looks on the surface. It's not just the art of seduction. This is a step of faith. Now, this doesn't mean that it's not risky. It's actually incredibly risky. There are so many different things that could go wrong. I mean, what if Ruth is discovered by another man on the threshing floor? What if Boaz misunderstands Ruth's actions? What if Boaz has a moment of weakness and he decides to take advantage of Ruth? What if Boaz and Ruth are discovered together? There are all kinds of things that could go wrong. And this is why you don't see many books written about principles for dating from Naomi or Naomi's advice about how to win a husband. I mean, dads, would you give this advice to your daughters? I doubt it very, very much. And this actually teaches us something important about how we are to read and interpret the Bible properly. See, there are some things in the Bible that are prescriptive. They prescribe what we are to do. There are other things in the Bible, usually in the narrative passages, that are descriptive. They simply describe what happened without necessarily suggesting we do the same thing. And so this, Naomi's plan, I would file under the descriptive category. It's not in the Bible to give us advice about dating. I wouldn't recommend you curl up at the feet of the person that you fancy. That might end you up in jail if you're a man. Now, this is in the Bible because this is the way it happened. Naomi thought that this is the best way that she would be able to secure a husband for Ruth and a future for them both. This is her risky plan. Now, I guess the question is, what does Ruth think about all this is ruth even willing to do this to to take this risk to make herself vulnerable what what would you reply to naomi if, if she gave this plan to you well we see ruth's response in verse five she says i will do whatever you say ruth answered again we see ruth's incredible loyalty incredible faithfulness to naomi Now, before we look at what happens next, I think it's important for us to notice that that this is what the life of faith will sometimes look like. It it will sometimes mean to take risks. I mean, Naomi and Ruth, they don't just wait around, waiting for Boaz to knock on the door. They don't hang around waiting for a husband to fall through the roof. They make a plan, they trust God, and they take a step of faith. They get busy, they, they do something. They make themselves vulnerable, and they step out. Now, what step of faith, I want to ask you, is God calling you to take this Christmas? It might simply be to keep trusting Him, to keep holding on in the midst of a really difficult situation. That might be the step of faith for you this Christmas. Maybe it might be for you to invite someone to a Christmas festival or to a Christmas service, a friend, a family member, a colleague, And that might make you nervous, but you know that that's what God is calling you to do. Maybe for you, it might be to seriously consider the claims of Jesus. You've been, you know, skirting the edges of our community for a while now, but you know that God is calling you to get serious about Jesus, to take that next step. What step of faith, what risk is God calling you to take this Christmas? For Ruth and Naomi, it was this risky plan to secure a future for them through Boaz. And I guess the question is, will it work? Will it work? Well, this brings us to the second scene in this chapter, which is Ruth's radical proposal. Ruth's radical proposal. Now, I can only imagine what Ruth must have been feeling as she set out to, to do this plan. She's probably very nervous, maybe scared, but she was also probably a little bit excited. I mean, their whole future might be looking very different in just a matter of hours. We pick up the story in verse 6. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Now, when it says that Boaz was in good spirits, it could mean that he was drunk. This word is used that way in other parts of the Bible. But it could also just simply mean that he was of good cheer, glad in heart, which is the way it's also used elsewhere in the Bible. Now, given what we know about Boaz's character, this seems more likely. He's relaxed, he's content, he's had a productive night's work, he's had a good meal, he's had a couple of drinks, and now he's ready to go to bed. And he heads over to the far end of the grain pile. He probably had his own space. Remember, he was the owner of many fields. It's private, it's away from others, and he lies down to sleep, blissfully unaware of what is about to happen. We pick it up in verse 7. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet. Now, I think we're meant to, to chuckle a little bit here, because this is a little bit humorous. I mean, Boaz goes to sleep, and then he wakes up in the middle of the night. His feet probably got cold, because he'd had the blanket taken off them. And he turns around, and he sees a woman lying at his feet. Now, that's going to wake you up in a a real hurry. This is also, I think, good preparation for marriage. I mean, Ruth, still in the covers, and Boaz, ending up cold. This is Ruth just saying, get used to it, buddy. Verse 9... Who are you, he asked. A very appropriate question in this situation. I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. Now, Ruth deviates from the plan at this point. Remember, Naomi said, Boaz will tell you what to do. But before he can even say anything, Ruth puts it all on the line. Ruth essentially proposes... To Boaz. She literally says, Spread your wings over me. Now, do you remember earlier in the story, this is exactly the way that Boaz described uh, Ruth's actions of coming to Bethlehem to find refuge under the wings of God. You see, now Ruth is saying to Boaz, I want you to be part of God's protection and provision in my life. I want you to be the instrument that God uses to care for Naomi and I. This is very beautiful. This is very profound. And you know, this actually shows us the way that God works in the world. Not the only way, but one of the common ways. God uses the hands and feet of his people. God works in our lives through the actions and the influence of others. We are, as one author put it, instruments in the Redeemer's hands. You know, Ben told us just a moment ago about the community outreach dinner that we had here on Friday night. Over 50 people from our local community, and they had a meal served to them by our church family. They received hampers. The kids received presents. It was a wonderful display of God's love through God's people. And it was because a bunch of people, a group of people from our church family, they were willing to be instruments in the Redeemer's hands. They were willing to be used by God to show His love to others. And that's what we're called to do as God's people. To be His instruments in His hands for His glory and the good of others. And this is what Ruth is saying to Boaz. She's reminding him that he is able to help them. He has the means and the position to do something for them. And the question is, will he do it? Will he accept? Will they or won't they? The whole story has really been building to this moment, and this brings us to the third and final scene, which is Boaz's resolute promise. This is what Boaz says in verse 10. He says, "'The Lord bless you, my daughter,' he replied." This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And so Boaz is not put off by Ruth's boldness. He is actually impressed by it. Boaz was already impressed by Ruth's earlier kindness to Naomi, her her kindness to be willing to leave Moab to go with Naomi to Bethlehem. But now he's even more impressed. Now, why is he more impressed? Because in her willingness to marry Boaz... Ruth is once again looking out for Naomi. I mean, she could have married anyone to provide for her. She could have married richer men, younger men. But she chooses to marry Boaz. Why? Because she is looking after Naomi. She is choosing to marry Boaz, a relative of Elimelech, to provide an heir for Naomi, to provide someone to continue the family line. Can you imagine how meaningful this must be for Naomi who has lost her only two sons and had no other grandchildren? This is incredible loyalty and devotion from Ruth. And Boaz sees that in her. He recognizes that in her and he's amazed at her character. This is what he says in verse 11. And now my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask Ruth makes herself totally vulnerable she's alone in the darkness with Boaz she's put it all on the line the words don't be afraid they're exactly the words that she needs to hear and incidentally these are words that would be spoken many years later not far from where Ruth and Boaz are when angels in the night sky just outside bethlehem they would say to a group of very frightened shepherds what we read just a moment ago do not be afraid I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. And this would be the climactic moment of redemption, not just for a poor widow and her daughter-in-law, but for you, me, the whole world, because it signaled the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior. And Boaz's words in the middle of the night, outside Bethlehem, anticipate that day. And they signal Ruth's redemption because Boaz will marry her. Boaz will provide for her, protect her, and God willing, Boaz will provide an heir for Naomi. This is it. I mean, this is the answer to the question. Will they or won't they? They will. This is the happy ending. This is the moment they they ride off into the sunset, or or maybe the sunrise together. Except that it's not. There's a problem. And if you've ever watched a sitcom or a rom-com or read a romance novel, you know there's always a problem. There's always a complication. You see, there's someone else ahead of Boaz. There's a closer relative who is first in line. And Boaz once again proves himself to be honorable, and rather than cover it up, he says to Ruth, stay here for the night, and in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good. Let him redeem you. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. It's hard to know how Ruth was feeling at this point. She was probably a little bit disappointed, maybe a little bit scared. But there is good news here. Either way, she will have a redeemer. If this other man won't do it, then Boaz makes the promise, I will do it. And so Ruth and Naomi, they come back to Bethlehem from Moab, and they come seeking refuge under the wings of God. And they find it. They find the refuge that they're looking for of course, it's not all tied up, and you'll have to come back next week to see how it all works out. But already, we can very clearly see the hand of God at work through the kindness and the goodness of Boaz, through the redemption that has been promised to them by Boaz. And it leads us to the question, what do we take away from this part of the story? How should this part of the story change the way we view God and live our lives? Well, to help us make this final lesson, I want to tell you a story about a modern-day Boaz. Let me tell you the story of Jimmy Barnes and his childhood. And yes, I mean Jimmy Barnes from Cold Chisel. Now, Jimmy, you might not know this, was born into an abusive family with alcoholic parents. They were desperately poor and there was constant violence. His mum had five kids by the time she was 21 years old. His father would work all week and then spend all their money on alcohol. His parents eventually divorced, but his mom had no way to feed her kids. And child services were threatening to take away her kids. One day, Jimmy's mom was sitting in a a friend's house and she was crying about the situation when a stranger named Reg Barnes walked in. And he asked her, he said, what's the trouble, love? She said, I need to find myself a husband and then I need to find a home for me and my six kids and I need to do it quickly or they'll put the kids in a home. Reg said, no worries, love, I'll marry you. Why would you do that? She asked him. Someone has to save those poor kids. And Reg came to love his new family. One day, Jimmy came home from school and his stepdad Reg was in the backyard, knee-deep in sewerage. What are you doing, Reg? I'm cleaning out the sewerage tank. Why are you doing that? Because I love you, son. And Reg saved Jimmy's family. He rescued them, he redeemed them, and not surprisingly, Jimmy took his name. Jimmy Swan is known to us as Jimmy Barnes. And this is what Boaz has promised to do for Ruth and Naomi. He's promised to step into their mess, to take on their problems, to provide for them and to protect them. But the really, really good news of the Bible is that this is also what God has done for you and for me. He's stepped into our mess to deal with our problems. See, the line of Ruth and Boaz, it would eventually lead to the promised Saviour, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And Jesus is the ultimate redeemer. He redeems us from far more than Boaz did for Ruth and Naomi, and even Reg did for Jimmy and his family. Jesus rescues us and saves us from everything. Sin, evil, and death itself. He is the ultimate redeemer. And on the cross, Jesus stood in the sewerage of our sin. And if you were to ask him and say, why did you do it? He would look at you and he would say, because I love you. Do you know that? Do you know that you have a redeemer? Do you know that our world will one day be redeemed? Because we have a redeemer who stepped into our mess to solve our problems, to provide for us, and to protect us. And this is what we remember each and every Christmas. That's why the story of Ruth is so powerful and profound and important because it reminds us that we have a redeemer. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your great love for us. Thank you that we have a redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. And thank you that we get just a glimpse of what he's done for us through the story of Boaz and Ruth and through the story of Reg Barnes and Jimmy Barnes. But, Lord, what you have done for us is so much greater. And so, Lord, help us to turn to you and to trust you. Help us to know that even when we don't see it, Lord, you are at work for the good of those who love you. And Lord, if we've never turned to Jesus before to put our trust in him as our redeemer, then there is no better day than today. Lord, we thank you that you have done for us what we could not do for ourselves, and we turn to you in faith and trust today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.